If you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Jude. Um, if you uh, don't know where the book of Jude is, go all the way to the back of the Bible, all the way to the right, and turn back one book. It is probably one page. It might bleed over into the second page, but uh, there are 25 verses in the book of Jude, and we are walking through those verses uh, in these weeks. So uh, I'm going to read all of the verses for us this morning once again. We're going to spend our time looking in verse 19 down through verse 23. 19 through 23. So here is the letter that Jude wrote. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Key in on this because this is a portion of what we're going to kind of tie back to here in verse 1. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for um, this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, pursued unnatural desire, and serve, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he didn't presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with Uh, With you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." 
It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that he prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers. Malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, but you, you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, over the next few moments as we look at your word, Father, I pray that it would come alive in us. It is alive. Your word is living. Your word is sharper than a two-edged knife. Your word cuts between joint and marrow, your word refreshes our souls. Father, I would also come to you this morning knowing that not everyone in this room knows you as Lord and Savior. Not everyone in this room knows you as Father They know you as creator, for you created them, but not as father. Jesus, they know you as a historical figure, but not as savior. And father, for some of us in this room, even those of us who know you, our ears are dull to your word. Our eyes are dark. And dim, give our eyes light to see your word. Our ears, may they be sharp, afresh, anew to hear you speak into our lives. Your word is truth, Father. Lord, this whole letter has been like a training camp for the faith. There is an event. There is a a battle. There is this 
thing called life that we are a part of every single day. And you have called me and you have called us to be in the fight. Lord, as we see multiple application points this morning. May they not just be general to our ears and to our lives, but Father, would you drive them home in me and in us so that they are specific. They are things that we can grab a hold of as the week unfolds because they're from you. They are from your word. So Lord, would you speak and might we hear and not just hear, but Father, might we obey what you are calling for your sons and daughters, your bride, Jesus, to do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you have ever found yourself preparing for a contest or preparing for an event or or maybe you know it's the middle of the summer and I know school is about to start in 2 weeks but you've got to prepare for a test and as you prepare for this huge test or this huge event this huge responsibility there are things that come across your mind that there is no way in the world that you're going to be able to do what you have in front of you unless you cut off a little section and deal with it and then another section and you start looking at all of the whole of the contest in bite-sized pieces. Jude tells us from the beginning that he wanted to write to them about their common salvation. We looked at that and we we had a, a funny line, so to speak, that I wanted to write this nice little devotional about rainbows and all the little fluffy stuff of life, but I found it necessary to appeal to you to fight for the faith. Then he goes in and he talks about all the the wrong, the bad, the issues, the people. And now as he comes to close it out, verse number 17, he says, But you must remember, you must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they talked about things that are going to happen in the end time, the last time. There's going to be scoffers and A couple of more bad things. And then he says this. And here's where I want us to spend some time this morning. He says, but you, beloved, you, brothers and sisters in Christ, you who have bowed the knee, have confessed with your mouth, you who are saved, you who I'm writing to to contend for the faith, Here are some points of application. But you, beloved, first, building yourselves up in 
your most holy faith. You, beloved, praying in the Holy Spirit. You, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. You, beloved, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You, beloved, have mercy on those who doubt. You, beloved, save others by snatching them out of the fire. You, beloved, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. One after another, after another, after another, there is strict, specific application for you and for me in our lives today. How are you supposed to live out Monday? How are you supposed to live out this week? What is supposed to happen in your life this afternoon, this evening? Jude tells us. Better than that, God, through Jude, tells us how you and I are supposed to live. Points of application this morning. All three of them are thoughts straight from those verses for you and for me. The first one, is this, as you'll see it on the screen, the application for the believer or of the believer, it is to be constant. The application of the believer for you and for me is this it is to be constant. You and I are to pray. Brian, this is basic. Yep, that's why you and I need it. Because we might have become so familiar with the basics. I want something a little, you know, like doctoral level. Not this week. You need the basics. I want want to move on down the road. Well, let's get the basics right. So the application of the believer is for you and for me to pray. How do we pray? What's his description? As we're building ourselves up in the most holy faith, we are praying in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter if you're one solo, doesn't matter if it's a whole group, if you're sitting down, if you're here at the church, at the house, in the truck, in the shower, on the back 40, you and I are to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Charles Haddon Spurgeon stated it this way. We see on this quote how we are to pray. If I do before God at the throne what flesh and blood can do and no more, I have done nothing. For that which is of the flesh still mounts no higher than flesh. But if in coming before the throne of the heavenly grace... God's eternal spirit speaks to my soul and lifts it out of the dead level of fallen humanity and brings it up to be filled with divine force. If that spirit is in me, a well of water springing up into unto everlasting life, if I receive that divine light and power of the Holy Ghost, and if in His power I 
fervently draw near to God, my prayer must be prevalent with God. What's he mean? It's a long quote, I understand. It means if all you're doing is taking your grocery list before God and saying, hey God, will you, will you deal with this? God, will you deal with this? Will you deal with this? God, this is happening, and will you just help me out of this and this and this and this? And your prayer and my prayer and our prayer lives are centered on us. That's what we can do in the flesh. He says that that's all it is, is flesh. But if you... Understanding who it is that you are praying to. Understanding who you have as a son or a daughter of the King living, dwelling in you. You have His Holy Spirit who is always interceding for us. Even when we don't have words to understand, to know what we are to be praying for. He is praying. If we bring that prayer before God. Those prayers, those prayers have power. That next phrase, I want to try to drive it home and I'll come back and hopefully tie a bow on it. That next phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. The next application point is not just that it is constant, but that next application point is that for the believer, application is continual. You and I are to continually be keeping ourselves, yourselves, in the love of God. Brian, I've read Jude multiple times now this month, mainly because you've been preaching from it. But I've read Jude multiple times now, and if I recall, back in verse number 1, it says this, that I am kept for Jesus Christ. Now you are telling me, or Jude is telling me, that I have to keep myself in the love of God. What in the world is this? Well, let's talk about that for a second. I don't have these verses on the screen, but if you want to turn over to the Gospel of John... You can do that right now. And in the Gospel of John, there in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John, verse number 27 through verse number 29, Jesus is speaking. And as he speaks in John chapter 10, verse 27, he is talking to the Pharisees. They've asked him a question and he is responding to that question. And here is what he says. My sheep, who are his sheep? His sheep are those who are sons and daughters of his, those who believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. That's the word. Same word. I know them. I know Brian from John. I know John from James. I know James from Thaddeus. I know know you as a son or a daughter, Jesus says. My sheep, they hear my voice and I know them. And then he says this phrase. And they follow me. 
I give them, I give them, it's a gift, I give them eternal life. And they, those who are my sheep, those who hear my voice, those who I know, those who follow me, they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is um, given them to me, he's greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I've stated it this way a number of times. It is that you are in Jesus' hands and nothing can take you out of Jesus' hand. Nothing and no one can take you out of Jesus' hand and He is in the Father's hand, and nothing and no one can take Him out of the Father's hand. So what can take you out of Jesus or the Father's hand? Nothing. Well, you don't know me. Yep, you're a part of nothing or no one. There is nothing or no one who can take you out of His hand or God's hand. So you are kept. You are kept eternally. Paul stated it this way in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he says this. One sentence, all right? It's not grammar class, I understand that, but one sentence. There's no stop and then start again in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. He says, and we know... That for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who were called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's the sentence. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Start to finish. That is you. That is me for those of us who know him. Okay? A lot of question marks on your face. It's okay. Stay with me. Eternity passed. There was a moment. And in that moment, in eternity passed, before God said, let there be light, and there was light, Before he said, and there was evening and morning the first day, before that, God looked to his son and said, son, one day you're going to have to go save this creation we're about to create. One day you're going to have to leave this glorious place and you're going to be born as a baby and you're going to live a life a life of of pain and suffering, a life of heartache, a life of hardship, a life where even your brothers will not believe in you until after you die, a life where mom is going to come after you and there's going to be a crowd around you and she is going to wish that she could get to you so that she could take you home because she thinks you're crazy. A life where... Those who believe that they are serving me are going to hate you. But you're going to go. 
And you're going to die because this creation that we are about to create needs a Savior. And those whom He predestined, love what Adrian Rogers says about the word predestined. He said, all that means is that beforehand, God predetermined what you and I as believers are going to look like. He predetermined that you are going to look like Jesus. Are there a lot of rough edges that He has to take off? You better believe it. There's a lot of rough edges that He has to take off of me take off of you. He predestined us and He called us. And those that He called, He justified. Those that He justified, He also glorified in His mind. In His state of being, which is outside of time. It's hard on a Sunday morning at 10.57 to understand this. I get it. But outside of time, because God created time, He sees everything. He sees it all. And as He sees it all, He sees predestined, called, justified, and glorified all at the same time. And He says to you, and He says to me, those of us who are His, keep yourselves. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Of God. Well, Brian, how do I do that? Glad that you asked. One more passage before we get back to Jude. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says this to his disciples. If anyone is to come after me, If anyone is to follow me, let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and follow me. That's how Matthew records it. Luke records it with those same words in one additional word. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The application for you and for me this morning, if we're going to keep ourselves in Christ, is that we have to follow Him. And the only way that you and I can follow Him is that we deny ourselves and we take up His cross. If you're honest this morning... If I were to ask for a show of hands and nobody is looking around and you were gut level honest, you would like the third one. I'll follow him. Yeah, I'll follow him. You might raise your hand. I might raise my hand because I really don't necessarily understand what it means to take up his cross. But if we were real honest this morning, none of us would want to raise our hands about denying ourselves. Because we love ourselves. We love ourselves. And Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up His 
cross and you must follow me. And I believe that is what Jude is getting at as he says to you and to me to keep yourselves in the love of God. He's holding on to you. Eternally, you are secure, sir. There is nothing that you can do to get out of his hand. You are eternally secure. You're his. If you know him, you're his. But when you and I have those attitudes that we have, when you and I say the words that we don't need to say, when you and I do the things that we're not supposed to do, the fellowship is broken. And if you and I are going to contend for the faith, we're going to be in the battle. We're going to be used by our Father. We must keep ourselves in the love of God. He loves you. There is nothing that you can do to make Him love you more. There's nothing that you can do to make Him love you less. He loves you. But sir, ma'am, for us to have fellowship and to be used by Him, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. So let me ask you a question. Last 24 hours. We won't even go back seven days. Last 24 hours. 11 o'clock on Saturday to 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. How have you kept yourself in the love of God? Students, what have you done in the last 24 hours to keep yourselves in the love of God? Parents, adults, sir, ma'am, what have you done in the last 24 hours to keep yourself in the love of God? How have you followed him? Where did you deny self? Well, that was a weekend, all right? Thursday. Yep, I had responsibilities at work. What did you do? Deny self, take up his cross, and follow him. To keep yourself in the love of God. To have that fellowship. To be close. One preacher stated it this way. You see the quote, uh, his name was Harold Akinga. He's not from around here. He said this, There is none of us beyond temptation. Can I get an amen on that? There's none of us beyond temptation, beyond struggle. But if you say that, sir, if you say that, ma'am, if there's nobody here that's beyond temptation or beyond struggle, you must also say this. We should never be beyond conquest, for we should have that conquest and victory through our Lord and the power of His Holy Spirit. If you are His, He's your Savior, He's your Lord, yes, there's going to be struggle, there's going to be temptation, you're going to fall, fail. You can't do it on your own. But in Him, there is conquest. In Him, there is victory. And through Him and through the power of His Holy Spirit, you are a victor. The final application, a word that most Americans hate. Giving you two today. Deny self, and now I'll give you a third. Wait. 
Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How many of you like to wait? No hands, please. How many of you like to wait? How many of you like to wait in line at Kroger, Walmart? The other day, this past week, I was uh, coming off the interstate in the truck, and I looked down and I saw that the gas gauge was below the mark that it was supposed to be on because the gas gauge doesn't work and neither does the electronic gauge up on the, uh, on the roof of the truck. And, but there's a spot that you know you're not supposed to go past or you're going to like run out of petrol. And I was past it at the stoplight. And I said, okay. There was a longer line turning right, so I said, I'm going to turn left. And I get to Walmart fuel and I mean it is covered up and I'm like oh my stars and then it started and I was two cars short of the pump it was a diesel truck and it and I just turned it off I said okay Lord um, I need to get right there right there I mean, it's just right there. Cranked it back up, and I pulled up, and I got the petrol that I needed. It sputtered for about five miles because I let it run out of gas. But all the while was I was like, would you please hurry up? I've got to get gas. Would you, please, would you just get out of the way because I have to get gas. I didn't even want to wait for them who are more important than me, I totally get that, to get their fuel so that I could get fuel. And I come to this word, waiting. You know what I've learned about this word? Maybe you haven't learned it. Let me share some knowledge with you then. Waiting is action. No, no, I'm waiting to do something. No, no. The action that you and I have to do is just that. Waiting. There are times in your life and there are times in my life and our life as a church that we have to wait. We have to wait because God's not only working in us, But He's also working in the circumstance. He's also working in others. He's also working on the other side of the situation so that when the activity comes, everything's going to be in the right spot. And so your action today, your application today might just be that you have to wait. Now, he defines it for us, and I'm going to close with this. Because for most of us, myself, front of the line, myself, worst of all of those who are to wait, he defines how we are supposed to wait. Wait eagerly. No, 
wait, confrontationally. I got that t-shirt. No. Wait patiently. Hmm. For the mercy of Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We all could have the the t-shirt that says we're busy. We all could have the t-shirt that says I'm tired of waiting. I've run out of patience. Just tell me what you want to do and I'll do it. He tells you and he tells me. River Bend, he tells us as a whole body, keep yourselves in the love of Christ and wait patiently for his mercy. Heavenly Father, Today is a, a sermon and an opportunity, Father, for, for us to take home and chew on, or to see how our prayer life is. God, for me to, to see how my prayer life is, not, not just that one time that was picture perfect, but Father, the prayer life on a constant basis, a continual basis of how I'm coming to you, Lord, it's, a, it's an opportunity for me and for us this morning to, to see if we're keeping ourselves in your love, you have the very best for every single one of us. For those that don't know you, you have the very best because you've given your best. For those of us who do know you, Lord, you have the very best because you have called us, justified us, and you have glorified us. God, if we would rest there. Father, if we would deny ourselves this morning, and there are things in every single one of our lives that we need to die to, that we must lay at your feet. God, may we wait patiently.